Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about a broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. Consistency. It's important when it comes time to rely on basically anything. A key to ensuring the quality of HERS ratings is the software calculation consistency of the HERS score. Too often in the past, the same home could receive a different score based upon the software program being used. So what actions has the ResNet board taken to enhance the consistency of calculation of the HERS index scores. Well, today we're joined by Neil Cruz, Vice President of Big Ladder Software, to discuss his role as the newly appointed ResNet Energy Modeling Director. With a doctoral degree in building systems engineering and his extensive work with the National Renewable Energy Lab and computational software for building energy analysis, Neil will act as the arbitrator of the Software Consistency Committee, which has been established by the ResNet Board. In today's podcast, he gives us a great overview of this very complex topic, and he acknowledges that while the goal is not to be disruptive to the HERS scoring process, the necessary improvements can be disruptive to an extent. To this end, bi-directional communication will be the key. Now, in the show notes, you will find links to the real-world FAQs in this topic, along with a link to a form to report software inconsistencies. There's also a link to Neil's presentation from the 2019 ResNet Conference. Some of the other roles for the Software Consistency Committee include researching and identifying major drivers that cause these inconsistencies, as well as proposing resolutions that will enhance the consistency between software tools. So let's listen in as Neil gives us this really great overview of a really complex topic. Today we're pleased to have Neil Cruz from Big Ladder Software, who's got a new role at ResNet. Neil, good afternoon. Hi, Bill. So your role at ResNet, what does that encompass? Give us an idea of when you joined and what the role is. Yeah, so I joined ResNet, man, I think it was at the end of 2018. And ResNet had been struggling with this question of the consistent HERS scores across different software tools for a while and decided that they needed to contract out some help to help navigate this with some external expertise. Very good. So you bring that external expertise. Give us, the listeners, some idea of your background, please. Let's see. How far back do I go? I have an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. And from there, I went into grad school really with this idea that I wanted to go into buildings and building energy efficiency. So I started a PhD program at the University of Colorado. While I was there, I was a research assistant at the National Renewable Energy Lab in Golden and worked with the residential research team there, doing a lot of stuff for Building America and developing some software tools to help design buildings, design residential homes. And at the time, I didn't really know much about ResNet, but continued on with grad school. And my research topic was fairly residential energy focused as well, trying to figure out how best to calculate and estimate how heat is lost through building foundations. 
So I was able to do a lot of this work at the lab, but then ultimately came to a point where I needed to decide if I wanted to continue working at the lab or finish my PhD because there was some conflicting, there's just a lot of work to do at the lab and I couldn't do them both at the same time. So I decided to leave. And at the same time, one of my colleagues that had been at the lab had started this company, Big Ladder Software, and doing a lot of the same energy modeling software work that he had been doing and I had been doing at the lab. And he was able to take me on part-time while I finished my PhD. And yeah, I've been at Big Ladder ever since. Now I'm the vice president of the company. And it was with that background and ResNet's need that I applied for this contracting position and joined the ResNet staff team. Very interesting. It sounded like you were tailor-made for the role. I've been doing this, the energy modeling stuff for probably since 2006. As part of actually going back to my undergraduate work, I had done some toying around with it. We never know who's listening to the podcast. So if you could, and this may be like old hat to some raters and rating field inspectors, but what are the accredited softwares that are now available? Yeah. So there are three accredited software tools that are available. Remrate, which is developed by Noresco, has been probably in the market for the longest time. Then Energy Gauge USA, which is developed by the Florida Solar Energy Center, is used across the country, but it probably has its largest market share in Florida for their code compliance and in HERS ratings there. And then the third is Ecotrope, which is relatively new to this scene. And it's great to have a variety of minds coming and approaching this whole idea of energy modeling for HERS ratings. And it brings together a great group of people that I work with in my new role as the energy modeling director for ResNet. Got it. I look back and you've done some great presentations at the conference, the 2019 conference. So it seems like back in 2014, members of the quality improvement committees were appointed. In 2016, they started an effort to enhance the consistency and came up by the end of the year with a task force. And then out of that came the recommendations. Was it one of the recommendations to hire someone like yourself to do this work? Yeah, I believe so. And at the same time, they created a charter for the Software Consistency Committee, which included this role for the Energy Modeling Director to be the moderator in part of this process. And your presentation, you had stated Siegel's Law, I think it's called. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I could say it off the, right off the top of my head, but it's the idea is, shoot. <laughs> a person with two watches? Yeah. A person with two watches is never sure what time it is. And if you have one watch, you kind of lulled into this sense that you do know But this idea that, okay, if you have another watch, and if they're not the same, you don't know which one is right, doesn't mean that one of them is more accurate than the other. It just introduces this uncertainty. And that's what we see happening with these software tools. If they produce different scores, we know that they can't both be right. And you've adapted that into your own law? Yeah, Cruz's law is (laughs) my take on this. It's basically what I just said is two HERS rating software tools with different scores can't both be right. Without getting like too deep in the technical aspects, how does one compare to make sure that there's this consistency? Because that's the goal here is consistency, so reliability, so things can be better trusted. How does that work? How do you make a comparison? So ResNet has always, maybe not always, but for a long time has had a procedure for accrediting software that involves putting these software tools through a series of tests Those tests have been based on some pretty established procedures 
including there's a big ASHRAE standard called ASHRAE Standard 140, which is the evaluation of energy modeling software. And so that's the basis of a good part of it. Then there's some additional tests on top of that. One thing that became clear pretty early on is that the coverage of those tests is pretty limited. And the tests we have, I think it's probably one building in one climate to check these tools calculating loads correctly. There's a couple other tests that do explore a couple other climates, but if you think about the total number of homes in the United States, there's such a much wider variety that people encounter. And part of our plan and part of what we're working on now is expanding those tests to cover a more realistic range of homes. That's one approach that we're taking. The other approach is being responsive to user inquiries. So it's not uncommon that a user will try to get a her score in two tools and then find that there's a difference in those scores. And we have a portal set up on the ResNet website where people can fill out a form to explain the differences that they're seeing. It's kind of a challenging process because anytime there's differences, there's a lot of different places where someone could introduce one of those differences. So the user if might interpret the inputs differently between the two different tools, even though the tools may be calculating the Hertz score the same, that the inputs may not be equivalent. Or in some cases, if you have two different users on the same home, then they might take a different approach. So there's a lot of different places where inconsistency can come in. We are really focused on what's behind the software, not the user itself, because the user is really a part of the scope of what the quality assurance team does within ResNet staff. And they work with providers to help get the training and the credentials set up for people to do energy modeling. Do statistics come into play at all with this process? Yeah, a bit. So the standard I mentioned earlier, the ASHRAE standard 140, the thing about energy modeling is that it's a fairly complex process and there's no real truth standard. Now, there's been efforts to monitor homes and try to model them and show that your energy model it gives within some percentage of the actual energy used in that home. But there's just so many things that are really difficult to characterize and quantify, like the infiltration into the home. When are people opening doors and basically anything that's occupant related, it makes those hard. So there's some controlled field studies. But at the end of the day, what I think the energy modeling industry has found is that the best way to determine consistency is to compare a lot of tools and look at the statistics across them. So that's something that had been done for these tests is they have a couple of what they call reference tools, these state-of-the-art tools that develop results that are used. And then there's a statistically developed bounds for setting the acceptance criteria for accreditation. Yeah, I was going to ask about the bounds, I guess, to develop, to have come down this road, it must have been the feeling that the things are running a little bit out of bounds and they wanted to rein it in. Is that true? Actually, I think the case has been that the bounds were pretty wide to begin with and they're fairly forgiving. And one of the big focuses in my first couple of years has been looking at the original reference tools that set those bounds. And at least two of those tools are no longer maintained or developed and really don't represent the current state of the art. And so what my team at Big Ladder has done for ResNet is redevelop some of those reference results using some of the more state-of-the-art simulation software tools. Very good. 
Do you have an idea of what's the goal? Like how tight do they need to be? Do you have anything driving along those lines? Yeah, there's not a certain tightness that we're trying to achieve. We just want to progressively make things tighter. There's part of this process that's exploring where are the biggest divergences? Is it homes with heat pumps or is it homes with basement foundations? So we want to focus on those. I think that there's always going to be some degree of inconsistency and we want to minimize that across the board, but target those areas that are more egregious first. And then I would say, I don't know if there's a point when I would say our job is done because there's always going to be new additions to the standards, new technologies that come along that need to be modeled, that we need to explore some of these things with and make sure that they're done consistently as well. So is there a loop between what you find and maybe changes to the programs themselves, the rating programs? Yeah, definitely. There's a fairly large loop because there's changes to the standards that maybe need to be made because then ultimately the software implement the standards. Sometimes there's changes in the test procedures that need to be added so that we can make sure that people are actually implementing things the right way. And really, it's those two mechanisms that we have to enforce change in the software. ResNet has very little control over the development of the software outside of the mandatory compliance to the standards and the procedures for accreditation. Was there anything about the process since you've been in this role that surprised you? That's a hard question. I think there are definitely things that have surprised me. There's some lack of standardization that just with an industry that's the size of three, there's not a big interest or even bandwidth to increase the standardization. And that's what I'm doing as part of my role is trying to develop some greater standardization. And there are efforts outside of the ResNet world and outside of even the residential world in energy modeling that I'm hoping to be able to leverage for ResNet to help improve some of that standardization. So those would be some of the things that Big Ladder gets involved with from other clients of yours. Right. At Big Ladder, we do a lot of work with the Department of Energy and a lot of the national labs. And the Department of Energy specifically has really been supporting some of these building energy modeling standards. Like I mentioned, Standard 140, I'm part of a project team funded by the Department of Energy to help support that standard and develop it further. And there's a couple other standards. There's one that's really focused on the idea of, so a big part of the HERS score is you model your rated home, but there's also this reference home and that you're comparing to, right? So the if your score is 100, that means that your rated home is as good as that reference home, which is targeting 2006 construction practices. But if the definition of that reference home, it changes if, let's just say, if you have an attic, then there's a specific criteria for what your reference home looks like. And if the softwares don't implement that correctly, then that's another opportunity for an inconsistency. So there's this standard now that's focused on testing that homes or buildings that are reference buildings are generated correctly. And we already have some of the accreditation tests already test for that, but this would be a fairly substantial extension of that. What's the typical engagement that you're receiving now from the resident community, builders, raiders, staff, things like that? And do you see that changing? No, I think that there's a handful of like power users that really get into the weeds here. And I've had some of them come to some of my software consistency committee meetings to present what they're finding, that we can go over that. And then 
I think there's a good amount of the ResNet membership of raiders and people that just use the software. They don't think a whole lot about how consistent is this score going to be with some other tool because they need to get their ratings registered and they don't have a whole lot of time to compare it to everything else. Yeah, like we started this conversation. <laughs> it was like we're both squeezing this podcast in because all of us have busy lives and things to take care of, but this is certainly an important task that you have. So the Software Consistency Committee, is that a committee of one or are there others on it? Yeah, there are others. We have a representative from each of the software providers. And then we have a handful of subject matter experts that aren't associated or affiliated with any of the software providers. Very good. Does meetings occur how frequently? Quarterly? We try to have them every other week. Wow. That's a fast pace. There's a lot that we're trying to tackle and there's a lot of questions. And we've recently had some trouble meeting regularly just because of summer schedules and COVID outbreaks at my daughter's daycare. But Oh my goodness. But we work around that and we're pushing forward. We're in the process now of developing what I mentioned earlier on, this expanded set of tests to cover more of the variations of homes that we see in the United States. So, Are there any typical myths or misconceptions that you need to dispel when someone starts talking to you about this whole topic of making software operate consistently? Yeah, I think one of the hardest misconceptions out there, and it, it's fairly contentious, is this idea that we didn't have inconsistency before there were multiple tools. Before you arrived. <laughs> right. <laughs> Isn't that quite a greeting or welcome? <laughs> yeah, right. And it goes back to the two watch principle, right? Before there were two or more tools, there was this blissful ignorance that, yeah, you get a consistent result. But I think what's more important to the ResNet community and the stakeholders that buy into Res, like the ResNet and the HERS index is that these are accurately portraying the energy efficiency of the home. And so as soon as we see a discrepancy, any kind of inconsistency, that indicates to us that there's a problem in one or both software tools. And the solution in my mind isn't to just pick one and ignore the fact that there's an inconsistency. It's to address that in it's through that comparative study and we dig into the software details to figure out, oh, well, this one's actually making an assumption that's maybe not as good. And so we can fix that. And now this technology X is better incentivized or more accurately incentivized in the HERS index. You've been involved with this for a number of years, this topic, this general area. How would you rank the complexity of this project related to other projects you've worked on? I would put this near the top. It's one thing, I'm also a developer of some of, not the software tools that are used for ResNet, but some of the other energy modeling software tools. And I think it's fairly easy to implement something. But when it comes down to testing and understanding why there are differences, that's a whole nother level. You can read a research paper on, okay, here's the new way to model a heat pump. But until you look at other tools and you see there's a difference in it's really this detective work of coming to a conclusion of what's causing this difference and what's the right solution moving forward that puts it at a, another level beyond a lot of the other work we do. So just on a personal basis, this seems like really intense mental work. Do you do anything <laughs> outside of this to kind of relax and get away from it? Because mental work can be overpowering sometimes. 
exercise is my way out of this. <laughs> but to just clear my mind, I play a lot of soccer and that's been really great for me. It's, it was hard doing a team sport during the early parts of the pandemic, but I think we figured out how to do that safely now. And it's definitely a good thing to get to clear my mind and reset and come back fresh the next time. Very good. And not so much on the topic for the podcast, but can you give us an idea of what kind of things go on at NREL that might touch the Raiders world and they might not even realize that? Or describe NREL, please. Yeah. Well, NREL's, I mean, it's big and they have like the buildings divisions. So they, NREL is one of our biggest clients and that we work with them to develop the Energy Plus simulation engine, which is one of those state-of-the-art tools that we used for the reference results. So we work on that and develop it. And as part of NREL's, one of the things they do is manage that project. There's a number of other related projects happening at NREL. Two that are probably really worth mentioning. One is this ResStock project, which is the idea is to model maybe not every home, but at least a representative of every home in the U.S. And it utilizes supercomputing and statistical distributions of what kind of features you find in homes to assess large-scale impacts on energy use in the U.S. So that's a fairly interesting project. I'm not very tied into it, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on in terms of it seems like a very powerful policy driving tool. And then the other project is something called Cambium, which is a database of time-varying emissions rates and electricity costs for basically anywhere in the country. And why this is really relevant to ResNet is on the side of what I'm doing as the energy modeling director in the software consistency committee, I'm also chairing a ResNet task group on load flexibility. And we're looking at this Cambium data set to help inform how can we design homes for a more resilient grid and for a more sustainable future with fewer greenhouse gas emissions. So the idea behind this is that we will use this data to help incentivize technologies like batteries that in general are their net energy user, but they use that energy to shift more energy to other hours that where, where it's cleaner on the grid or there's a lower chance of the grid failing. So we want to incentivize technologies like that, which the current HERS index can't. And so we're looking into using this Cambium data set from NREL and working with their team there. Does that have to do with time of use? Yeah, absolutely does. And it actually mirrors pretty closely what's already happening in the state of California. They have these time of use factors that they apply to their energy code compliance that basically if you use a lot of energy in that three to seven period, well, especially when the sun is setting and you don't have as much clean energy on the grid, then there's a big penalty for using energy at that time. And I noticed in one of the slides in your presentation, there's a statement here, all HERS index software must be based on hourly simulation by January 1, 2020. Can you elaborate on that? So that was actually before my time, the board of directors decided that they would make this mandate for the software tools. And it goes back to historically, some of the faster calculations had been done using maybe coarser seasonal calculations of energy use. And then the other tools, the more recent tools, had moved to hourly calculations. And it was just like comparing apples to oranges. So in theory, with higher resolution, you'll get higher accuracy. That's the idea behind this. And then 
But anytime you change the software, there's going to be changes in scores and there's a reaction to that. And so it has been challenging just to manage that transition away from the seasonal calculations. And that deadline was actually extended a couple of times to help make that transition smoother. But now it's enforced and, and all the tools are using hourly calculations. It's safe to say as things get better, things get different, which means comparisons from different time frames or different evaluation periods will be different. That's one of the biggest challenges is there's a lot of things moving all at once, right? If any changes to the standards, any amendments, any new versions of the standards will come with new versions of the software, probably with changes that impact scores, then there's also going to be times when we find or through the software consistency process or just software providers on their own identify bugs that they fix, which any of those could impact scores. And so it's really difficult to manage some of the expectations of, well, we're making things better, quote unquote, but it is definitely a challenge for the raters anytime they see a score change because they're accustomed to being able to rely on certain technologies, certain processes to meet certain targets. And we want to minimize that disruption. So we've been working a lot within ResNet staff to come up with a plan to make a longer period of transition where the software results using these new tests we're developing can help predict what are the impacts going to be before users start adopting a new version of the standard or a new version of software. Yeah, the goal is not disruption, right? That's not in your charter. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's improvement. Right. But improvement oftentimes means that it can be disruptive. And one of the things I pointed out too in one of my presentations was it's not unique to ResNet or the HERS index. It's, it happens in the EPA with fuel economy for vehicles. On the advent of hybrid cars, they had to change their test standards and it impacted the miles per gallon for every car is a fact. And I'm sure that was fairly disruptive for that industry. And it's there's a difficult balance of finding improvements without huge disruption. Well, I feel I learned a lot in this conversation. Thank you for having it with us and being on the Res Talk podcast. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners? I would like to put a pitch in. There's On the ResNet website, there's the form I mentioned earlier. If you're a user, if you're looking at some of these inconsistencies, there is a way to reach out and ResNet staff and my committee are watching that. There's also a frequently asked questions page there that covers a lot of what I talked about today as well. That's been useful because I think it's hard to give a consistent message when there's a lot of things changing at once. So that site hopefully serves that purpose. So So in addition to being frequently asked, they're frequently updated? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's meant to be a living document. And yeah, it's relatively new, so we haven't yet needed to update it yet, but it will be as needed. All right. Very good. Thank you, Neil, again. This was very informative and educational for me and uh, definitely respect your work and your colleagues that are doing this great job for the rating industry. Great. Well, thanks, Bill. It's great to be on. I want to thank you for listening into this episode of the Res Talk podcast with Neil Cruz. If you're pro in the building market, you want to go on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or join the email list. You'll also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today, which we actually mentioned in the episode, this is called Siegel's Law. A man with a watch knows what time it is. A man with two watches is never sure. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet what you heard here today or would like to 
hear a new topic covered, or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet, R-E-S-N-E-T dot U-S. If you're not subscribed, please consider doing so. And as always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Thank you.